If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. Today on the show, we explore the incredible origins behind one of the most enduring characters in all of gaming, Doomguy. Welcome to Lore Party, the podcast that explores the stories, characters, and universes of our favorite video games. I'm Connor. I'm Bruce. And we are joined by uh, an extremely special guest today. Uh, we're excited to welcome Ty, a.k.a. the Motherload, a.k.a. the Prophet of the Drowned God, also known as the host of the In the Keep podcast. Thanks for joining us today, Ty. I'm very happy to be here, man. Thanks for inviting me. This is an exciting opportunity uh, for me to uh, do something a little bit more organized than what I'm used to doing. So, yeah, and we're it's a privilege to have you. We're excited. Yeah. No, yeah. Let today uh, we are we're breaking down kind of one of the most legendary figures in any any gaming uh, franchise, and just honestly, the genre of first person shooters wouldn't really exist as we know it without our main subject today doom guy is that fair to say i mean there have been other shooters but oh yeah like this is your father's master chief like this is the (laughs) og uh space marine of first person shooters doom guy is even if you haven't played the game you know who he is you know what he does and you you pay your respects to uh to the godfather of uh blowing away bad guys from the first person perspective Basically, Doom Guy walked so Master Chief could run. Oh yeah, Doom Guy is way faster than Master Chief. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point. We're talking about a guy who can carry around like two or three shotguns, a chain gun, a plasma rifle, a rocket launcher, the BFG, and still run like as fast as a freaking gazelle or something. He's got his rocket launcher directly mounted to his crotch, like just <laughs> blasting. <laughs> Blasting away at enemies and takes no pain from it. Like, what a legend. Absolutely. What a king. Absolute madman. <laughs> but let's, you know, what we're, do- what we're doing today is actually, we know the stories. You know, we've all heard the, the myths of the legends. Doom. <laughs> That's right. The, the legends of Doom Guy and his rocket launcher crotch. Uh, but who is Doom Guy exactly? Is the what question. What is Doom Guy? How, How is, is Doom Guy? <laughs> I think what is actually the correct question. We don't know exactly what he is. And that's that's a good point as well. Uh there's there's this question of is he even really human? Uh is he from Earth? What's going on behind that helmet of his? You know, there's so many questions about him. So where do we start? Let's start at the beginning. I think that makes sense, right? A great <laughs> place a to start. Logical begin a logical <laughs> place to start. Um so our our journey with Doom, I mean, it's a personal journey. Uh, like I told you, Bruce, it's a childhood thing for me. I kind of grew up on these games. Uh, Ty, I assume that it's been a long-term relationship with Doom for you as well. 
That's actually really interesting. I did not first play Doom until 2017. It is 2017. Oh my god! All right, I'm in this, you're in my I'm boat. In this extremely <laughs> weird situation where I like really quickly got into Doom. I played all of them in in a weekend. Like the first Doom one, Doom two, the final levels, all of this stuff, and then picked up Doom 2016 right after that because I was like already wow. on that tangent. So I kind of got to experience not only like all of the games in order, but I got to experience them all at the same time. And then I got into this weird situation where I like, you know, with my podcast, I was doing a lot of stuff with the Quake community. And then I would have people like, oh, it makes sense. We should do some Doom stuff. And then I got to know the Doom community. And now now I'm caught in between. It's like the Quake people think I'm the Doom guy. and The Doom people think I'm the Quake guy. (laughs) And that's how I ended up here. Yeah. That's so cool. You really had the crash course then. You just sort of crammed it all in and experienced it all uh, in one one sh- quick shot. That's really cool. Definitely. Well, yeah. yeah. So, I, would, I would aced my Doom 101 class, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I. this is still, I'm on my first year of uh, Doom 101. Uh, just kind of been watching a lot of just lore YouTube videos and figuring out the timeline. I played Doom 2016 and Doom Eternal. Uh, this year and you know i played a little bit of doom 2 at the end of doom eternal where it's kind of like built in but i haven't really played any of the other doom games well i kind of feel like the old man on the show right now because (laughs) uh, it was it was i i want to say like 1998 or so it was you know i was a wee little lad little baby connor uh and my really cool uncle guy named ron shout out to ron he uh, showed me these awesome games on his computer. Hey, this was called Duke Nukem. This one's called Wolfenstein. This is Doom. And I was like, I want it. I want them all. <laughs> My mom was like, uh, damn it, Ron. I told you not to show him those games. <laughs> and, and true enough, uh, I get the floppy disks for them. And, uh, you know, my older brother and I, we try and beat Doom together. And we play through Doom 2 and use the cheat codes because, I'm, you know, I'm I'm a kid and I don't really get it. So I beat it with uh, God mode on and uh, it was uh, the rest is history. I was in, I've been in love with the uh, the games ever since. And yeah, when 16 came out, it was, you know, revival of those feelings. So it's definitely been a long term uh, thing for me. But any way that you arrive to doom is a beautiful thing. You know, it does. It's, it doesn't matter as long as you find it within your heart and embrace it. <laughs> and doom is a part of you that's all that matters few things in life have been more rewarding than becoming part of the doom community at large like we're talking about the most unbelievable group of people who are knowledgeable and welcoming and like happy to help you learn how to do anything and so many people have built careers in in computing or in game design strictly because of their affinity for doom so here we are. and here we are doing a podcast about doom so i'm really here, that's right it brings so many people together and makes so many incredible things possible. Yeah. That's that's great. Yeah. And it all started with one guy, with one angry, badass space marine who beat the odds. You know, if you, when you go back to look at the original Doom, it's uh, you know, a pretty simple premise. I think a lot of people uh, don't give Doom the story credit that it deserves. Like, oh, it's just a guy who shoots demons. But there's there's so much more to it. When you when you look at Doom Guy, uh, there's kind of theories about you know does he have a name? Does he have a background? Does he have a story? And it depends on where you look. I think if you look at the game itself, I believe you can you guys can correct me on this, but I have heard that 
the original developers like John Carmack, Tom Hall, and those guys, they kind of explained like the Doom guy doesn't have a name. He's just he's just there. And he's meant to be a self-insert. He's meant to be someone that the player can project themselves upon. Right. And because of that, I think, and it's especially because of the kind of show don't tell that kind of goes along with that, it really lends so much to the imagination of what Doom Guy can be. Um his personality, even just through the little head at the bottom of the uh UI screen. Right. You kind of get a sense of like just an air of understanding of what's going on. And then the lore kind of takes you away. Uh because you're just like I'm going, I have this momentum, I need to kill the demons, I need to get to the next place. But then along the way, and this kind of still follows to Doom Eternal, where it's just, there are these big, grandiose things that are happening, and you are just making a beeline to the next enemy. I think it's important that we note before we really dig into anything that id Software was notoriously, you know, like John Carmack was quoted saying that the stories to games are like the stories to a porno movie. It's not... <laughs> It's expected to be there, but it is not actually important. And they lived by that philosophy and began that philosophy basically with Wolfenstein that carried all the way until Half-Life. So when we're dissecting all these things, we need to keep in mind that while over time, and especially since Bethesda's acquisition of the property, they have attempted to tie everything together, it is not and never was really intended to be this perfectly melded sequential story for us to unravel. You know, so we're <laughs> going to be we're going to be tying a lot of loose ends together, which is right. I think is fun. And I think it actually builds on the story because it's so vague and leaves a lot open to interpretation. I think I find that the most interesting part about this is that, you know, you start out with I this was only made really with the premise to sell more copies of the game it wasn't to, you know, create this huge giant franchise that would go on forever and have this huge giant community figure out what you know the demons do with the erdak in the heavens <laughs> but it's right. because of that love and because of that franchise of people being introduced to this for decades upon decades that there was a true love that blossomed from that to meld all of that together right a lot of a lot of the story that we see behind the uh behind the action that's inherent to doom is like you said, Ty, and like, you know, like you said, Bruce, it's all, it, it just kind of comes from the fans in a lot of ways. And it's like a labor of love that the story uh, has taken shape. And part of that was, I, I like how you mentioned the, uh, the kind of little face at the bottom of the game screen and doom one and doom two, like uh, that really ties into the original intent behind doom guy to just be a self insert, just kind of be like a blank slate for the player to, relate to and when you see that guy at the bottom like grinning when you pick up a new gun or like kind of uh you know looking angry when he gets shot just kind of darting darting his eyes around he's all paranoid it's like yeah you feel like you're in his shoes and one of the original instances of really immersive first person shooter gameplay was like you are that guy you're in a very dangerous place and you gotta keep your wits about you I think that BJ was probably the first example of this, but bringing the the effect that Link from Zelda had on the player to the first person perspective for the first time really goes a long way in in, in immersion, and that's why I mean, I've dedicated 
countless hours to first-person shooter gaming. Like my whole podcast revolves around that, specifically because I'm like addicted to that feeling of you know inhabiting the shoes of a character who can just, for all intents and purposes, be me in this world. Right. Yeah. And and there were there were sort of attempts by whoever held the license at the time. I guess there was a novelization of the original Doom game. <laughs> I don't really know much about you know how that happened, but there was there's, a book. And, there's oh, the one Doom for Bible. Each, there's one. No, no, no. The Doom. Hold on. Back up. <laughs> this is why I'm glad you guys brought me here. <laughs> we need your help. Yeah, help us sort this out. So there, so there are three novels. Each uh, an episode of the original series of Doom. So gotcha. you have, you know, we're going to go through them individually. The Knee Deep in the Dead, The Shores of Hell, and Inferno. Now, these characterize the Doom guy very in-depth. You know, they, they name him, uh, I want to say his name was Flynn Taggart. That's uh, right, yeah. It's in, the, it's in the notes somewhere. There it is. Yeah, Flynn Taggart. And, and so it... It takes the story of the original Doom and just like elaborates on it and gives you like, you know, it's a book. So you can't really read a book in the first person perspective too much. Tells you the story of this guy. And a lot of fans really gravitated towards that. A lot of people, you know, don't really care one way or the other. Like, uh, you know, that's and I I would say that's not canon at this point. However, it's probably safe to say it is a it is a fun. And if you want to read it, read it. It's it's super good. It's good writing, good novels and everything. But does that really tie into the story of id Software's and then Bethesda Softworks now? They're a Doom guy. I don't really think it does. Right. It's it's kind of like something that it, it was a artifact of the time. It was a sort of yeah that happened, but it's not really relevant anymore. But it it does kind of give us another facet to that character that you can sort of appreciate on its own. But it doesn't exactly fit into the tapestry of doom guys history that we have now i suppose what well, with the doom bible for anyone who needs any clarification on that so there are to my knowledge two doom bibles one was written by thresh who was like the multiplayer gamer like you know huge esports star in the early days of that uh famously won a ferrari from john carmack at one of the QuakeCon events wow. and also uh there's the my preferred version of the doom bible was written by a guy named devastation who is a guy from Nova Scotia. He's one of the greatest multiplayer Doom players ever. I mean, like he's actually probably number one, if not if not number one, the number two best Doom players of all time. And he wrote a version of the Doom Bible that you can look up online and will just teach you the ins and outs of multiplayer Doom, but that's not really what we're here to talk about today. That's good to know though. That's yeah. That that, that comes back to how so much of the Doom mythos is constructed by the fans though. I think that's yeah. So where does this all start? Um, just I, I know a little bit more about how it started uh, of Doom Guy just kind of being stationed on the Martian moon Phobos uh, and then just proceeds to fuck shit up. Uh, right. But if you can just kind of elaborate for me and the folks listening at home. Of course. Yeah, we should probably get on that at some point, right? <laughs> but no, yeah, so the, the from what I understand, yeah, it's a future where um, the UAC, Union Aerospace Corporation, uh, has a presence on the Martian moons of Phobos and Deimos, and they are experimenting with teleportation technology, which 
doesn't go well at all. They, I don't don't quite recall if it's like an accidental portal to hell that the demons sort of just hijack or if it was meant to tap into other dimensions originally. I think it was just meant to be a link between Phobos and Deimos. Just, hey, we're, you know, making sure we can make teleportation happen. But, uh... Oops, all hell. They, <laughs> it was oops, all demons, yeah. <laughs> See, the, UA, the UAC were trans... Uh, porting radioactive waste. Like, this is a radioactive oh, waste facility. Okay, and so there's an were, environmental piece too. Yes, it's all. All of this is a metaphor for save the earth. <laughs> that makes so much sense. Let's go trash someone else's planet. Um, the demon wow. is the trash. So and anyway, like uh, as with all mad scientist stories, they're they're doing this you know transporting thing, and they're they start doing these secret experiments. Like, oh, we have this teleportation technology. And so they begin creating gateways between Phobos and Deimos. And over time, that reveals that there's something tapping into this portal, this teleportation thing that uh, we are not able to detect. And mm. thus, uh, something, quote, something friggin' evil starts pouring out of the teleporter gateways. That's straight out of the game. That's an apt <laughs> description as well, yeah. Yes. <laughs> what I, I do love the the descriptions at the Doom manual, because I, I remember reading that in my bedroom and like as a kid, thinking, like, oh, this is awesome. Like, they describe the demons as, you know, tear your friggin' head off if they, if they get close to you. It's awesome. Uh, but yeah, something friggin' evil did indeed uh, cross over. Um, and everyone on Phobos ends up either dead or possessed. And Doom Guy is the sole survivor. He's the one Marine left to save uh mars i guess and that's really that really sums up like it really doesn't get much more deep than that it's just you are the last marine alive uh, you gotta try and stay alive and doom guy ends up finding the source of the invasion uh which leads him to hell itself i believe yeah so episode by episode he he shows up on the, the shores of hell he's found demos he's like transported himself to demos which had disappeared previously and then he realizes after he kills the cyber demon that Damos is floating above hell. He climbs down to hell, and that's where you begin the Inferno episode of the original Doom game. Right. And can we just take a second to appreciate the idea of climbing down from a planet down into hell, <laughs> like repelling on a rope or something? Like, yes. How wild is that? Um, I mean, you know, compare that to shooting yourself on a rocket to Mars and whatever i think no, guys proven, i mean this is, yeah this is the first time he proves his uh merit and not the last time he proves his merit of course yeah yeah so there there is this odd kind of space between doom one and doom two and uh ty you actually told me about a, a relatively recent game that sort of fills in that gap called sigil right that kind of like uh kind of explains what exactly happens between one and two it made me so happy that you brought that up. I saw it in the episode notes, and I was like, "No, he, like I can't believe you didn't get this." But <laughs> so, yeah, there's the. Let me make sure I'm quoting myself correctly here. But sure. there is this big problem between Doom One and Doom Two that people have always had, and that he enters a teleporter, and then at the beginning of Doom Two, he repels down from a dropship, right? And it's like, what the fuck happened in between there? Right. Um, so. John Romero, cre original creator of Doom, uh, you know, founding member of id Software, greatest human being maybe that's ever lived. Beautiful Agreed. hair, right? Agreed. <laughs> um, he decided to take that upon himself to create this game called Sigil, which is just a mod 
a new episode of the original Doom game, right? It uses all Doom 1 assets. And that tells the story of, and I'm going to quote him here directly, after killing the spider demon at the end of E4M8, quote, unto the cruel, your next stop is Earth. You must save it from Hellspawn that is causing unimaginable carnage. But Baphomet glitched the final teleporter with his hidden sigil whose eldritch power brings you to even darker shores of hell. You fight through this Stygian pocket of evil to confront the ultimate harbinger of Satan, then wow. finally return to Earth to become Earth's savior. Like, that's that's the story of Sigil, essentially. Beautiful. And Quick that question. bridges Are the gap. Are we sure John Romero wrote that and not, like, Dante Alighieri or something? <laughs> um, it's It's... John Romero is... Given credit for this quote, that's all I can say. I, I won't. It, it is Fair quite enough. an eloquent sentence that I probably yeah. butchered at some point during. No, no, that was beautiful. But, uh, but yeah, that that does kind of bring us to Doom Two, where, like you said, he, uh, the Doom guy, sort of fights into hell, then back out of it again, then back to Earth, uh, right in time for another invasion. So Mars was just the beginning, and in Doom Two, it's hell on Earth. We actually see a bit a bit of that in Thy Flesh Consumed, which was an expansion pack to Doom One, and, oh, right, right. and, and for the Ultimate Doom. I'm sure you played that. Uh, if you I own think Doom so. on Steam right now, you probably have that. So yeah, we get to see a little bit of Doom Guy on Earth at that point. But then, yeah, of course, Doom Two drops down in the dropship, and then it's all hell breaks loose on Earth. And this is the ultimate first person shooter game for most people, I think. So during these uh, timelines, I, I did want to kind of bring up just how in some instances and what I'm seeing in my research, how Doom Guy is kind of humanized in a way. I, I think that's important to note in the story of Doom 2 is when we first actually start to see Doom Guy as a human being, right? Right. We visit his hometown. We, we get to like this idea that he had, you know, he had a family, he had a pet, he had things that he cared about before, you know, the Marine Corps. Or the mm-hmm. Space Marine Corps, or whatever the you know. Now we have the Space Force. <laughs> <laughs> that is a great point, though. That is kind of the point in the timeline where we start to see, like, like you said, that's well put. Uh, that humanization of Dim Guy, and you know, we see that he does care about some things, and that might sort of inform his decision to uh, do what he does at the end of Doom sixty four. Which, you know, really quick recap: Doom sixty four kind of follows Doom two. That's like, all right, you've saved Earth, but there's still a something called the Mother Demon somewhere back on Mars, I think. Yes. And uh, Doom Guy has to go kill that too. And then, um, yeah. So then he decides, I'm I'm over this. You know, this is bullshit. I'm gonna go straight to the source and just stay there. So he kind of goes to hell at the end of Doom sixty four and decides to just stay there and keep killing demons for eternity. Basically, it's important to note that uh, Doom sixty four was kind of retroactively tied into the the modern doom story right right so they, they've added a new episode with uh the credit to kaiser and the guys over at night dive studio for actually creating this new episode and refurbishing the game for all of us to play on pc now he had actually uh modded and created like the, the doom 64 within doom 2 uh that everyone you know had access to if you wanted to play it on pc you played it in the doom 2 engine up until this year when they released this new version of it. Gotcha. Yeah. And that features the whole new episode that ties it into the Doom 2016 slash Doom Eternal story. I see. So it's really, it's a patchwork history. Like pieces are being added to it. 
kind I, of all over the place. I started this by telling you that the, the, the story was not established by the creators. <laughs> they didn't care. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't a part of their – they didn't intend for us to be here 20 years later, 25 <laughs> years later. Making a podcast. Yeah. Yeah, trying to like, dissect the lore of this, yeah. like it made any sense, and uh, but it has done a an interesting job of, you know, kind of making it all make sense, and and I think we can shouldn't even give credit to id Software or to Bethesda for doing that. It really comes down to again the fans and the community for putting this together. Absolutely, I think definitely uh, what I would want to say is that, and this has been an argument that has always been ongoing for almost anything, but art is what is perceived i believe more by the audience uh the, the intention of what the artist has made is always going to be there but how it is truly perceived by the outside world is mm-hmm. what that art's true identity is um right, to right. others not who are not the artist and i think doom is a perfect example of that absolutely it's like when you put something out in the world and people respond to it and make it their own it it doesn't it kind of belongs to them at that point. Okay, we're going to take a quick break here, but stick around. We'll be right back. Hey, Lore Party listeners. This is Lawrence, one of the producers here on the show. I'm dropping in to talk about some of the amazing content that the team has developed and that you're obviously aware of, seeing as you've made it this far into this amazing episode. I would encourage you to scroll through the rest of the feed and check out some of our spinoff podcasts as well. Our episodes are easy to follow and may even inspire your next video game purchase, which is why I'm pretty much addicted to Stardew Valley. Anyways, leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts and chat with us on social. Now back to your regularly scheduled podcast. So at the end of Doom 2, we see Doom Guy face Baphomet, or the Icon of Sin, as he's known in the Doom world. And that's it. that that has a lot of implication on what will happen later. Uh, we, we, we grow to know that Baphomet has been basically fucking around with Doom Guy since, <laughs> since Sigil, now right. in the official canon. And he defeats Baphomet, or... I, I got to start saying Icon of Sin, but because it's going to sound like we're worshiping the devil or something here. <laughs> but but anyway, you, you defeat the Icon of Sin, you move on, you have the events of Doom 64 play out, and then you end up in the modern era of Doom after that. Right. Right. And yeah, that Icon of Sin is an important aspect we'll return to later that sort of informs this idea of these events taking place kind of on a continuum. That Some of these events maybe repeat themselves or sort of mirror themselves in other dimensions but that does bring us to sort of the modern uh, representation of doom with uh, the 2016 reboot and when the the 16 reboot started uh, i i i you know speaking for myself i just assumed that everything about the old games was just kind of being retconned and maybe at the time it was it wasn't really until eternal that like you said ty that's only kind of recently all the stuff is being uh, brought together but in 16, we're just kind of introduced to the Doom guy as just the Slayer or the Doom Marine or the, yeah, the whatever. And he's just this guy. We don't really know much about him other than the fact that the demons are terrified of him and that he is kind of a 
pivotal figure in their own history. Like their, their records and their stories are about him. He's like their boogeyman. So that really sets the stage for this guy's had a history. This guy has some kind of story behind him, but at the time of the 2016 reboot, it's a little vague. At that point, we don't even know that it's the same guy, right? We right. know we know that there is this iconic figure called the Doomslayer, but we don't know anything else about him, which I thought was perfect. I was like, leave it at that. That sounds great. But I also kind of enjoy that kind of urgency that goes with it. Like, why the fuck are you asking about what his pet rabbit was? <laughs> There's a demon right there. It's there. It's going to kill you. Shoot it. Shoot it right now. Right. Like, right. it's in the gameplay, too. Yeah. Doom 2016 takes a lot from the, the post-Half-Life era of first-person shooter games and that you you know who you are, right? You you are inhabiting the body of someone called the Doom Slayer who has a personality, and this game does an excellent job of kind of giving you little windows into his personality and the way that he sure. reacts to things. Uh, famously, you know, he's being told, like, if you destroy these, you know, Argent containers or whatever the hell it was, it, if, if you do that... It will have the, these horrible implications on energy and everything. He doesn't care about that at all. He only cares about getting rid of evil. Just curb stomps it. Right. Right. And go, goes crazy and breaks everything and causes damage in the wake of his, you know, self-perceived path against defeating evil, which is all he seems to care about. And I feel that's very – that was like the perfect implication of this like it, because it, they weren't going to go back and make this – 90s retro shooter where you have no background on your enemy at all or no you know in way to inhabit their persona but they they did a really good job of kind of keeping it in such a way that you could self-project yourself into that character and i think that's an important part of what doom 2016 contributed overall to the franchise absolutely because we skipped Doom three for a reason. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I I didn't have that as part of the the agenda here because honestly, I haven't played it and I don't really know much about it. But I also was pretty sure it didn't really fit into this particular timeline. It's the best Resident Evil game. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's what I heard. Yeah, it's like it's not. Yeah, it's it's interesting. It's a bit of a departure, but it's more like a survival horror game. It's good. Yeah. I, I really do like it, but it's not officially part of the canon at this point. And I don't think there's any reason we should waste time on that other than to say it's a good game. You should play it, but don't like that's not part of this podcast. Yeah. Don't look too deep into it for yeah. Doom lore. But yeah. But uh, what's what I also what I liked about Doom 2016, we've talked about kind of like the intentional vagueness and how it actually was effective when it comes to Doom guy's character. I'm sorry, the Slayer, as he's called now. Uh, but we also learn he has these connections to uh, some also sort of enigmatic and uh, mysterious figures called the uh, night sentinels. And, you know, we don't, again, we don't learn a ton about them other than they were fellow badasses that the Slayer fought alongside. And, um, we, yeah, we will learn more about them in the, in doom eternal, but, uh, we kind of get this feeling that wherever the Slayer came from originally, he's been around, you know, he's like made an impact in a lot of ways and he's, been a part of some historical very pivotal events and you know he ends up going on to ending the hell invasion of mars but uh uac director samuel hayden sort of betrays him and banishes him to uh parts unknown we don't know where he goes at the end of doom, 20, doom 2016 um that might be kind of a gap in the storyline that could be filled later by dlc i think i've heard rumors that 
the Doom Eternal story DLC might cover that. But um, for for right now, that's basically where the timeline sort of ends at that point. So this is one of the few examples of where I think that Bethesda Softworks is in a good position to really tie everything in. Um, they have, you know, reached this point where they've established that there is a group of people called the Night Sentinel who fight evil and Doom guy is part of that. And there's a lot of other characters in this same sort of universe that tie into that same storyline. Right. I think we'll touch on that a little bit later, but I think it's good to set the, set the precedent now that there's a lot more to unravel specifically with that story that I hope that they capitalize on. For sure. Yeah, me too. Uh, but yeah, then that eventually brings us to the newest entry in the canon. That's Doom Eternal. And, you know, I think I, there was mention earlier about, you know, this idea of events sort of repeating themselves and maybe Bethesda had sort of an idea to holler back to Doom 2 by setting a, a good portion of the game on Earth during a hell invasion. So it's kind of like hearkening back to that original hell on Earth storyline from Doom 2. Right. I hate to say it, but it's sort of like George Lucas kind of saying that, you know, there's a rhyme uh, in the stories. Or, yeah, it was like J.J. Abrams sort of like rhyming with, uh, you know, starting his Star Wars movies on a desert planet. You're going to bring up his name. You got to bring up Cloverfield. Because Cloverfield is all like just these separate stories that they've retroactively tied into the Cloverfield universe. Oh, well, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. And that's exactly the story of Doom. That's exactly what they're doing right now. They're, you know, let's take the story and try to cram it into this narrative and <laughs> – that's, that's right. Where, that's where we're at now with Doom Eternal, and they've done it apparently. And I'm trusting you, Connor. <laughs> apparently, they've done a good job of this. So I believe so too. Yeah, but yeah, like when when Doom Eternal starts, we're kind of given just a very basic setup of the cool. I'm sorry, the coolest opening to a video game uh, in my recent memory. I loved it. Yeah. I thought it was amazing. Just the radio static and you know, he's just cocking his shotgun and the anger in his eyes. It's not even really anger. It's like resolve. He's just, here I go killing again. It's like, I'm going back to work. It's so badass. And that music. Oh, my God. But that's, just, that's Doom the, Eternal. The, the, pen, just the continental pentagrams and oh, yes. the yes. Doom Fortress and the Stargate portal. And it just sets it up for just this, just romp through dimensions. Yes, absolutely. So yeah, Doom Eternal really sets the tone early on that Doom Slayer is just the lone, the lone resistance or like the one guy who can do anything about what's happening. And so he's just going off to raise hell and uh, it's very high energy. And throughout the, uh, you know, throughout the story of Doom Eternal, obviously it's just, it's tons of blood gore and slaying demons but it does kind of raise the stakes with some of these deeper conflicts that bruce you and i have talked about on our last episode sort of these considerations of what's happening with hell and what's happening with Erdak, you know sort of the heaven allegory and these opposing forces we also learn more about uh the slayer's history with the night sentinel so some of the things that doom 2016 brought up and didn't really elaborate on that deeply Doom Eternal really uh, blows the doors off. Yeah, they gave, us, they gave us way more than we were even asking. Absolutely, yeah. 
but we, yeah, we learned that uh, we see flashbacks. Actually, I, I didn't really ever expect flashbacks to be a part of uh, Doom storytelling, but we got a few. I think they were done well, but they were unexpected. I guess because we we see like from Doom the Slayer's perspective. I keep wanting to say Doom guy, uh, and you'll know why soon. But because they're the same guy, but we didn't know that until Doom Eternal, or at least not for sure. But we do see these flashbacks from the Slayer's perspective of when he first arrived on Sentinel Prime, the homeworld of the Night Sentinel and the Argenta. And he's kind of dragged before their leaders, like their their priests, and he's just ranting like he's a madman. He's lost his mind. He's just going rip, tear, huge guts. And I, when I first saw that cutscene, I lost my mind. I was like, holy shit, they actually did it. They did it. The absolute madmen. They, they really <laughs> did it. And I was like, that's confirmed. Doom guy and the Slayer. Same person. It was amazing. It was an amazing point in the game. I like that there's a literal line of that. You know, yeah. he, he rises in the ranks. He, you know, tries to do, tries to do his job um, well. And then as they are, um, you know, being attacked by this insurmountable uh, force of demons, uh, he is given uh, through uh, the divinity machine uh, this un matched amount of just cosmic power that then transforms him into the slayer right i do want to point out what what was hilarious to me was those lines like we hadn't heard the the slayer speak at all until then but we see kind of like when he first arrives he's just rambling about huge guts and wanting to rip and tear and those are like the only words he can speak ty do you recall that doom comic strip where it was like the guy who was just crazy and pissed off, and he's yelling at demons about wanting to rip their guts out. Do you remember that? I, I think it's unfair for me to say that I recall it because I was a child <laughs> when that came out, but I am aware of it. And yeah, like it's it is a really funny thing that just this little phrase that was used in a, a an offshoot comic book that was just you know what a money grab basically, right? Became the official kind of moniker this is the line of doom guy rip and tear and i like that i like that they capitalize on that that's really interesting I, i'm not sure who it was on the team it, may, it could have been a writer that would or his own name could have been hugo could have been anyone marty but they like latched onto that all the way and have ran with it ever since and it, it's a good moniker it really does tie into it and when you get to the Quake Champions, it's that's a big line in, in the game too. They really run away with that. It's it's awesome. It's it's great to see like um yeah, the the folks at Bethesda who worked on sixteen and Eternal really embrace some of the lesser known uh quirks and uh little features uh that you know some of the Doom fans know about. Well guys, um I think that about wraps it up for us, but um Ty, I want to thank you again one more time for joining us on Lore Party. It's been uh, it's been a pleasure. It's been an honor and a privilege to have you, um, folks out there. You can catch uh, Motherload on the In the Key podcast. Do you have anything uh, you know big you want to let us know about coming up? Um, got an episode that just dropped with a Cyberhook developer. If you are a fan of you know Defrag or race maps or anything like that, uh, if you like swinging around doing cool things, check out that episode. I also recommend if you're a big Doom guy, uh, we have countless episodes with amazing people from the Doom community. I specifically recently we had an episode with Sergeant Mark Four who created Brutal Doom. 
which is monumental in the world of Doom modding. So much. Like, I, I can't even say. If you're a fan of Doom, you will love our podcast. There's no way you get around it. So, oh, yeah. Yeah, I'd check it out. And, and many other things. If you're a fan of first-person shooters in general or if you're a fan of just great retro act, you know, like games in general, uh, I think that the Keep community is, is the place for you. And I hope that you find a home there. You're here. And also, oh, while I've got the mic, I really like this. This is really fun, and I, I hope to work with you guys again in the future. Anytime. Thanks, yeah. dude. Same. Yeah, this has been great. Well, that about wraps it up. We hope you enjoyed the episode. And if you did, please take a second to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It really helps us grow the show. And be sure to connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at lore underscore party. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time. One last announcement I wanted to add real quick. The Motherload will be hosting interviews with creators of Doom and other classic games at Realms Deep 2020, a virtual convention presented by 3D Realms on September 5th and 6th. So make sure to stay tuned for more info on that.